Welcome to SLU Law Summations, presenting brief looks at legal matters that matter to you by St. Louis University School of Law, located in the heart of downtown St. Louis. As a country, we are still grappling with the impact of the Dobbs versus Jackson's women's health decision. There is no community of professionals more impacted by that than the medical professionals that treat women on a regular basis. Today, we are joined by Professor Molly Wilson, an expert in law and psychology who holds a PhD in psychology in addition to her JD. She also serves as the law, at the law school as the Associate Dean of Research and Engagement. Today, we will talk about her current research on how these laws criminalizing abortion will impact the medical field. Thank you for joining us today, Molly. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. So I understand that you are writing about the Dobbs decision and the overturning of Roe versus Wade using a multidisciplinary framework. So what other disciplines are useful in understanding this current landscape and the abortion criminalizing trends? Well, as you mentioned, in addition to being trained as a lawyer, I'm also a psychologist. Mm-hmm. I use a social cognition lens to explain how human beings perceive, interpret, and apply information to decisions in legal and policy contexts. Okay. So, I mean, forgive me, but what exactly is social cognition and how, does, how is it useful in understanding these, this law and policy? So it's the combination of two areas of psychology, social psychology and cognitive psychology. Mm -hmm. And the human brain is basically hardwired to process information in certain ways. Um, We have limited capacity to accurately interpret the information that we're encountering in the world. We have faulty memories. And we're influenced by factors that we say are exogenous or irrelevant to many, if not most, of our decision tasks. But when we structure our laws and our legal processes, we often do not account for these limitations. And as a result, sometimes we make assumptions about how law and policy will influence human behavior, and they turn out to be mistaken. Mm -hmm. So obviously that's a problem. Sure. Yeah. Um, So in your work, you try to find these flaws in our system. Is that what you're doing? Yes. Um, We try to identify the flaws, but we also try to find solutions. Mm -hmm. So we try to create um, rules, create or modify rules and legal processes that minimize human error and result in better decision making. Okay. And we do that basically by using empirical data from psychology studies to explain why something is happening or to su- suggest solutions. Okay. So what kind of problems are you focusing on in your work on laws criminalizing abortion? I have two current projects. The first project mm-hmm. I'm working on is actually with my colleague here at SLU Law, Michael Sinha. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, and okay. this focuses on uh, physician decision-making with respect to terminating pregnancies Mm -hmm. when the pregnancies threaten the life or health of a patient. Mm -hmm. So the laws, the new laws in many states um, now attach criminal penalties to performing an abortion, except in cases in which the life uh, or the life and health of the patient is at risk. Mm -hmm. So for example, in more than a dozen states, this prohibition begins at conception. Um, In other states, it begins later, but in many, many states, the ban is in effect for a significant amount of the time uh, that the woman is pregnant before viability. 
Okay. So what happens, like what kind of um, like penalties or, or things are happening with, are these laws creating for these physicians? What happens? Well, as, as I mentioned, criminal penalties are common. Um, mm-hmm. There's also uh, um, the possibility of losing a medical license mm. and um, in many states, uh, civil penalties as well. Okay. Um, so the, the, oh gosh, criminal keys. So what kind of, so can you give a sense of like what that might, what, what kind of charges would a doctor face? Yeah. Up? Yeah. So they're felony charges. Oh, wow. Um, and the, uh, seriousness of the felony varies, but they're often quite serious. A, a doctor could, in addition to being faced with a lifetime loss of the ability to practice medicine, um, as well as fines. So mm-hmm. in Texas, um, a physician um, who performs an abortion that's deemed unlawful later can end up paying up to $100,000 in fines mm-hmm. um, or money damages in tort. Um, and the physician can also face, um, depending upon what jurisdiction the physician is in, between a year and actually a lifetime in prison. Oh my gosh, a lifetime? Wow. (laughs) So um, that's pretty severe, but um, obviously this is going to impact their practice, right? Like what, what kind of challenges are there for doctors who are practicing under these conditions? I mean, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the implications for making a judgment call Mm -hmm. that's questioned are pretty clear and the statute's are sufficiently vague um, mm. that it really becomes problematic for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, the question is, how certain does a doctor need to be that a patient's life is threatened before she can perform a procedure mm-hmm. that she believes will keep her patient alive? Mm. Um, how certain does a doctor need to be that her health is threatened? Um, how serious does the health risk have to be? Uh, how much proof will the doctor need to provide after the fact in order to be cleared of potential charges? These are all questions that these statutes really don't uh, answer. Mm-hmm. It really leaves like, I mean, and you're kind of focusing on like feelings that a doctor might have in the moment. I don't know. That's, that's a lot. So like, you know, speaking of feelings and what, <laughs> I just can't, <laughs> what are the implications of like, you know, your work on social and cognitive psychology when it comes to this type of situation. Obviously, there's a lot. Yeah, yeah. So so it actually um, is problematic in a variety of ways that um, our research uh, on social cognition uh, can mm-hmm. illuminate. Um, mm-hmm. There are well-established patterns of human behavior that psychologists call biases mm-hmm. that make it likely that doctors will systematically delay or even withhold medical abortions. Uh-huh. And this can happen even when the procedure really is necessary to prevent death or pretty serious health consequences. Mm-hmm. So as a result, we're predicting that patients and even patients who lawmakers in these states would agree should receive therapeutic mm-hmm. abortions will not receive them. And the consequences, especially in the aggregate, mm-hmm. will be devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, you know, my understanding of bias, I don't think is what we're talking about here. So what is the bias that we're talking about in this particular instance? Sure. Um, first of all, 
we use the term bias, behavioral scientists use the term bias a little differently from the way Mm -hmm. most people are used to the term being used. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we say bias, we don't mean dislike for other people or stereotyping. Mm -hmm. A bias is any predictable pattern of behavior or tendency that causes people to behave in a way that is not optimal or leads to flawed choices and behaviors. Mm-hmm. And we also talk about heuristics, which are rules of thumb that people use when they're rushed, when they're faced with too much information, or are otherwise, uh, we would say, cognitively taxed and need to make quick decisions. Um, okay. While many heuristics and biases are adaptive uh, or useful, um, other times, um, at certain times, I should say, they can lead to, the use of them can, can lead to bad outcomes. Mm-hmm. So how is this going, how are biases like this going to influence the physician's decisions when they're like making these life-changing or life-critical life decisions, whether or not to terminate a patient's pregnancy? Yeah, so I, I mentioned that often um, there is an over-reliance on these uh, sort of inclinations, um, tendencies, when uh, someone is cognitively taxed. So that would be mm-hmm. trying to make a quick decision um, in uncertain situations with imperfect information, which is exactly the kind of situation physicians are going to find themselves in. Mm-hmm. Um, people are risk averse. Lots of research shows that when people are given a choice mm-hmm. that involves the risk of a loss, they're much less likely to choose that option than when they're offered the same choice framed in terms of a game. Mm -hmm. So if you tell people uh, that a certain new drug, if administered to cancer patients, will result in a 40% death rate, they are less likely to choose it than if you tell them it will result in a 60% survival Mm -hmm. rate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously, in terms of probabilities, these two are equivalent. Right. Uh, Also, if you give people $5 and tell them they can bet it on a flip of a coin, And if the coin lands on heads, they'll get an additional $5. But if it lands on tails, they'll lose the $5. Hmm. Overwhelmingly, they choose not to take the bet. Hmm. Whereas, you know, in that case, in terms of probabilities, again, they should be indifferent. I mean, even if you tip the scales Mm -hmm. and tell them they stand to win $11, they are are still, um, they tend to be disinclined to chance it. Really? I mean, I guess... I guess I would probably make that decision too. <laughs> and so, so, you know, doctors are like people, they're risk averse. I mean, you know, what, what, but isn't choosing not to perform an abortion on a, a sick patient a risk too, because you're risking the life of that patient in that way. Right, right. No, I mean, that's an excellent question. Um, people tend to be more risk averse when it comes to consequences they will face than mm. when it comes to consequences others will face. Um, so even for the most well-meaning, dedicated practitioners, this is likely to be the case. And, and the risk of those incredible um, penalties that can come with being charged with a criminal mm-hmm. abortion, um, you know, are, are going to be forefront in a physician's mind. Okay. I have another question for you. So, and so I guess... And I don't know if you'll be able to answer this, but um, if, what if you flipped it? I mean, obviously you don't want to put the penalties on the patient because they're not making those life 
changing decisions. But kind of sounds like you're saying if the physician wasn't facing all these consequences, perhaps they would choose differently. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And mm-hmm. I, I think this is going to change, fundamentally change the way physicians are making decisions mm-hmm. when a patient's life or health hangs in the balance. Yeah. And and really the only appropriate therapy is a medical abortion. Uh-huh. I think the number of abortions, of medical abortions, um, is going to drop dramatically for reasons mm-hmm. that make, you know, make sense, but not necessarily appropriately. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so we're going to see just more life lost and, um, more very serious lingering health effects. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So are there other lessons that we can take from, from these psychological findings? Um, yeah, there are other factors, um, at play here. I, I think this particular situation, um, is is a situation in which we're going to see what psychologists call motivated reasoning. Hmm. Um, so motivating reasoning is um, uh, a sort of an umbrella concept that mm-hmm. relates to the idea that human beings engage in reasoning in a way that fits with their own worldviews and goals. Mm-hmm. Um, n- now, this isn't a conscious process, right? So people come to conclusions that feel rational, and feel that like they're using good logic mm-hmm. without realizing that they're actually choosing to interpret situations in a way that's what we call ego supportive, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, in ways that make them feel competent, consistent, and safe. Okay. So can you give me some examples of like what, what motivated reasoning is? Yeah. So there are a couple of different biases that are relevant here. One example is optimism bias or mm-hmm. sometimes Sometimes it's called optimistic bias. Okay. And this um, causes people to predict that choices that they're predisposed to make will result in good outcomes more often than is reasonably likely, right? Mm -hmm. Just statistically Mm -hmm. not as likely. Uh, Another bias um, reflecting motivated reasoning is something called a self-serving bias, Um, This uh, represents the fact that people tend to interpret situations in a way that portrays them in a positive light. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a related confirmation bias, and that's the tendency to interpret ambiguous information in a way that conforms or confirms a decision or existing belief. So, mm-hmm. I mean, ideally, we want doctors to continuously be updating their understanding of a patient's condition mm-hmm. uh, so that they can make the best choices in light of new information or in an emergent situation, right? Right. right. Um, but the, the concern is that physicians who are risk-averse will be predisposed to interpret information in a way that allows them to make the decision that is um, least risky for themselves, mm-hmm. that, that's mm-hmm. safest. And that then they will be, you know, unconsciously motivated to interpret new information in a way that serves that interest and is consistent with their initial determination. So kind of like something that's like clouding their judgment a little exactly. bit. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So you mentioned you're trying to come up with solutions based upon your finding, your psychological finding, or psychological findings. So are you and you and you said you were working with Professor Sinha, who's in our Center for Medical Center for Health Law Studies? Um, are you guys proposing a solution? 
Yeah, we are actually. Um, So that's that's the potential good news, right? Uh Um, We think one way to get better decision making, um, particularly in these kinds of emergency situations Mm -hmm. in which, you know, as we mentioned, doctors are faced with really serious personal and professional risks. Right. Is to provide clear protocols, mm-hmm. um, like a checklist, if you will, okay. for, for doctors who to use when they're making these decisions. Mm-hmm. This isn't a new idea. Um, these kinds of protocols exist in a variety of other medical contexts. So mm-hmm. one example is advanced cardiac life support. Um, mm-hmm. And this is a really important diagnostic tool for physicians that's, that's um, been widely used. Okay. Um, it's, that's not the only example in, in other medical contexts, uh, checklists save lives in emergent and, and also non-emergent situations. Mm-hmm. So some examples, you know, most people are familiar with is, uh, you know, checklists that are used when preparing an operating room. Um, mm. And, you know, more recently, COVID protocols, right, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which prevents mistakes and reduces risk of infection. Um, mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. have been really useful. Um, emergency departments uh, typically have emergency nur- nursing protocols, um, you know, to assure that patients are properly triaged mm-hmm. um, and, and to make sure also that the most dire cases are treated, you know, quick, quickly and appropriately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what we're, what we're planning on doing is developing a standard set of considerations that can be used uh, by specialists to develop standard protocols. Okay. Um, the specialists need to actually develop the protocols, but we would like to provide some guidance um, mm-hmm. and, and suggest that this is an appropriate step to take. Um, ultimately, we want to provide physicians with a clear path forward, which we believe will increase certainty, mm-hmm. decrease risk, not just perceived risk, but actual risk for the physician in making these difficult decisions. Mm-hmm. And we'll also, we hope, reduce mistakes that result in in harm, including, uh, really importantly, loss of life. Right. So, are you looking at this from like a, uh, like a, like comparing the laws that you're seeing come down and the regulations on a state state basis? Or are you just kind of looking from like a medical standpoint or psychology? Like, how are you approaching that? I think there there will need to be some variability in terms mm-hmm. of from one jurisdiction to another. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so the hope is that we start out with with a model that can be adapted um, in different jurisdictions mm-hmm. and and for different circumstances by the specialists who practice medicine in those states. Okay. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. You also talked about like that you have a second project related to criminalizing abortion. What what's that on? Yeah, so so the idea for my second project came to me when I was reading an article about three prosecutors mm-hmm. who um, are practicing in states where abortion has been criminalized mm-hmm. and who have publicly stated that they will not enforce the laws. Um, that have gone into effect in their states since Dobbs was handed down. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, this is really powerful stuff because prosecutors can use their discretion to decide when to bring charges, right. uh, what charges to bring, and, of course, whether to offer plea deals. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in short, prosecutors uh, have a huge amount of discretion. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It also means they have a great deal of power to decide who's actually punished mm-hmm. and under what circumstances. 
So I, I'd like to use, again, a behavioral framework to explore and possibly predict what factors um, will most likely influence prosecutors when they're determining how and when to enforce the laws that mm. criminalize abortion. Okay. Do you think like in those particular states that it's um, impacting the patient care? Like, do you think that information is trickled down to the physicians making those decisions at all? Or I don't, I mean, that's kind of hard to predict or no, really, but I don't know. I wonder like, are they getting that information or like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> Just proceed. <laughs> Um, uh, are you asking about, um, how it'll impact patient care or whether patients are understanding that the more physicians are understanding? I wonder if they understand that like in those particular instances, like they won't be prosecuted or brought to. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, Mm -hmm. I understand the question now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's a really, really interesting question because, I, I do think that there's a tendency for people who, um, you know, obviously who teach at law schools, mm-hmm. who who um, are prosecutors themselves or defense attorneys, um, who practice uh, in, in the criminal law area to pay attention, right? Um, yeah. And I, I don't know how much um, practicing physicians pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, to even trust like that that'd be another thing to ask like do they trust that that's actually going to be you know the right i don't know i no, i don't, no, I don't no. ever want to be in that situation but. no that's right that's right because because if they if they if they trust and and they're wrong in trusting it is just such a, a severe situation that yeah. they potentially face yeah. i think the other the other problem is just a pragmatic one which is mm-hmm. that we are all um, focused on our own um, disciplines. Mm-hmm. And, you know, physicians have a lot of information they already need to keep up with in terms mm-hmm. of just the state of medicine and uh, and, and technologies related to medicine right. and patient care. And um, there's just only so much um, information that people can attend to and, um, and, and keep in mind, you know, when they're um, performing their mm-hmm. own um, professional services. So I I think that that's another potential issue. And then, and then there's the fact that you can have, uh, multiple prosecutors in, in jurisdictions that can potentially, um, cause problems. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and prosecutors also move around sometimes, right. They don't necessarily, like all of us, they, they don't necessarily stay in their position, um, forever. So these are all kind of, um, moving pieces that I think will will make it unlikely um, or very challenging for physicians to keep track of, you know, what prosecutor prosecutors are doing mm-hmm. um, in their particular areas. Mm-hmm. Gosh, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack for sure. <laughs> well, really I mean, good. I mean, and and I feel like you got you and Dr. Singha really have a good handle on a place to get started on a lot of this psych, the psychological impact and the legal impact of this decision. So thanks yeah. for spending some time with us this morning. We are trying, we are trying to, to find some positive solutions mm-hmm. um, and not just describe our problems. So we're, yeah. we're, we're optimistic. We're hopeful. Yeah. It's been great. It's been great, great to do this. Thanks so much for having me again. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for the optimism. <laughs> You're welcome. I'll All try right. to keep it up. Okay. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Thank you for joining us for Slew Law Summations. 
produced by St. Louis University School of Law. 